I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel. And I'm beginning a new series tonight, and I, we sent out a text or communicate as best we can with you about, um, about the new series I'm beginning. Sometimes, and I do, I mean, I do apologize for this, that sometimes I, yeah, I, I really don't know the direction that God is taking us when it comes to, you know, what he wants to say in any specific service. It can sometimes be... Uh, nerve-wracking, you know, when you're, you're not hearing anything from the Lord and you're trying to figure out what direction you want to go. After 37 years, you can just about preach on anything. But there's something I haven't taught on for six years, and it's, it's something called blood covenant. And something that literally, literally, when you learn it, if you don't know about it, it will change your life. It will increase the value of the redemption that God paid such a great price for you that will increase in your life, and you'll be blessed. You'll, 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 you'll capture revelation that will liberate your life in a greater degree. How many want to be as free as you can in Christ Jesus? So blood covenant, it's all about redemption, but it's actually something that started in the very beginning of the book of Genesis. But I want to begin here in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. And uh, so this is going to be a series. It's going to it's going to, I'm not sure, I may, you know, through four weeks, I may transition from Wednesday night to Sunday morning. All, I don't know, I just want to keep, I want to keep it moving so we don't lose sight of the direction we're going. If you agree with me, say amen. In 1 Samuel 18, it says this, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit, the Bible says, with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, this is not some twisted, perverted love uh, that, uh, that some would try to claim it is. Well, let's, go, well, let's read on. He goes, uh, and, and, uh, and the Bible says, Then, and Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him uh, as his own soul. And it goes on to talk about that love, that it was a love beyond the love of women. It was, a, it was a love that had to do with honor, respect, and value for what was on the inside of them as men. All the men go, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, amen. This, is, this had nothing to do with femininity, had nothing to do with sexuality, had, you know, had, right? had nothing to do with moral or immorality. It had to do with a, a divine love and respect that they had for one another in so much, they valued it so much that they entered into a covenant, and what they entered into was a blood covenant, which we'll see as we go on. Now, the Bible is filled with types and shadows or natural examples of God's, uh, uh, of, of the ultimate uh, spiritual truth regarding the mystery of God's redemption in the Old Testament, listen, and the unveiling of that truth in the New Testament. The Old Testament laid out the redemptive plan of God. The New Testament carried out the redemptive plan of God. Can I have an amen? And which, of course, God did through his son, Jesus Christ. So the Bible says Jonathan and David made a covenant. So what is a covenant? We'll define that and we'll go on from here and talk about seven specific things regarding something called the blood covenant. And uh, the word covenant, uh, it's a solemn agreement between two or more persons agreeing to do and or fulfill certain things. Now, this is the, the dictionary definition. It's, uh, let me say it again. A solemn agreement be, uh, between two or more persons agreeing to do and or fulfill certain things, more specifically the things contained in the agreement. Amen. So a covenant 
literally, you're going to find out through the Bible how significant it was for the Old Testament believer, but how important it is for the New Testament believer that he understands it. Um, this contract that they entered into was written to benefit both parties. So when God, through Christ, entered into covenant with, uh, with humanity, uh, it, it, was, it was to benefit humanity, but it was also to benefit God. In, in what way would it benefit God? Because God loved the world. We made in his image and likeness. How many love your children? Raise your hand if you love your children. Amen. Thank God. Most of you raise your hand. And you love your children, meaning because they're made in your image and likeness. And uh, so God, his, his love for humanity, even in its fallen state, far exceeded even the love we have for our children. If you agree, say amen to that. Amen. And so this is why God carried out this thing or enforced this thing called the blood covenant. When God gave Israel his spiritual instructions, he, he carved those instructions out uh, in tablets of stone, and they were called the Ten Commandments. But listen, when human reason got in there, the children of Israel turned Ten Commandments into 620 more addendums to the commandment. Simply meaning what? I mean, they, I'm sure it was very frustrating because the more, God wanted them to, think about this. He gave them the Ten Commandments and he already knew that they would break the commandments. And we'll read a scripture that shows what happened, um, uh, what God did when that happened. But um, uh, he gave them the Ten Commandments and then they in turn added more addendums as an excuse not to keep the first ten. Yeah, 620 of them. Would you all agree Tim would have been better? Yeah. Amen. It sure would have been. Okay. Now, I want to give you an a natural example of a covenant. And I, I, I just wrote a few things down here. Let's simply say that you decide you want to buy or purchase something. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a vehicle. Maybe it's a piece of property. And uh, you realize that you have uh, you have so much cash, but you don't have enough cash. You all with me so far? And uh, the purchase price exceeds the cash you're in, in your hand. So after scrutinizing your credit history, and after uh, pulling up your credit score, a lending institution finally uh, uh, agrees to provide you financial assistance. Of course, we know that. It doesn't come without interest. They want to make something on their money. In exchange, a promissory note is provided. You sign that promissory note. We call it a contractual agreement. And before the ink is dried, you have entered into a covenant with a lender, a financial institution. You're in covenant with them. And listen to this. Um, included uh, in the contract are written terms, conditions, uh, how long it is to be for, late charges, penalties, etc. And then in fine print, you may find something like this. If at any time within the time, uh, time frame of this contract, you decide to breach or break the agreement, you will not only forfeit the property you've purchased, but the equity and or all monies invested. So meaning what? Jesus said in Luke 9, before you build, you better count the cost. Amen. And I've said this fact, I, I said this to a lady um, on the phone. She was a precious lady. Um, uh, it was a um, uh, credit card lady and uh, for our business company credit card. I was talking to her, and she was a Christian lady, and I said, I said, you know, salvation is free, but to follow Christ, it'll cost you your life. And sometimes, you know, maybe it's not the fault of, you know, we want people to respond to, you know, to salvation. We try to make it as easy as we can. 
you know. And yet, yet if you, you know, Jesus never minced words. He turned around to a big crowd one day and says, hey, except unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you have no part of me. He turned around, back around, and nobody was there. <laughs> anyway, they had left <clears throat> because you got to count the cost. It's the same in your spiritual life. You have to count the cost and see if you're willing to pay uh, uh, what is required of you or the commitment made to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the practice of covenant originated in the, in the book of Genesis, which we'll get to in a moment. African tribes practiced and honored blood covenants. And why did they do it? Mostly because a weaker tribe would enter in covenant with a, uh, a stronger tribe for two things. Number one, um, longevity. And number two, security. Uh, safety and security. They, they wanted to make sure that they survived. So they would enter into covenant. And, and there were a few things that happened in this ceremony. And I'll go through these tonight. Within the blood covenant ceremony, there's something called the exchanging of names. And uh, it was interesting, when God entered into covenant with Abram, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. When God entered into covenant with Jacob, he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. The word Israel means to rule as God. Uh, um, uh, the disciples, the Bible says in the book of um, Acts, uh, in Antioch, they were first called Christians in Antioch, meaning uh, their names have been trained. They've been identified as those who are Christ-like. Obviously, everybody around them uh, were watching their lives, observing their lives, and, and they thought, ah, that's a Christian. Come on, lift your hand if you want somebody to say that about you. Ah, that guy's a Christian. Because of our life and our lifestyle, uh, it confirms it. Within the marriage union, the woman gives up her last name and takes the name of her covenant partner. I'm talking about the man. The covenant uh, partner takes his name, and that's, that's called covenant. That's the exchanging of names. Uh, number two, within the covenant ceremony, there's something called the exchanging of gifts. And we'll use an example later as far as uh, uh, it, 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 that specific thing. But when, when, when Jonathan and David entered the covenant, I want you to stop and think about this. There was a drastic, change, uh, a drastic difference in exchanging gifts. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Therefore, he was a prince next in line to be the king. All right. So in that, just in that alone, that brought him a social, social popularity. I mean, here's the prince. I mean, everybody honored him and respected him and, uh, for who he was in that position. All right. Now, he, he, not only that, he was a prince. He was also, because he was the son, he was the next in line to inherit all of the wealth of the kingdom. Amen. Now, you may not know this, but King Saul, um, uh, the, 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 um, the kings of Israel were extremely wealthy. I mean, extremely wealthy. I mean, wealth that, that Bill Gates couldn't even touch. Yeah. So it goes to show you that God wanted his people blessed. Can I have an amen? So anyway, now here's David. David came from Bethlehemite, from his father was Jesse, and they were shepherds. They weren't poor but in comparison to what Jonathan could offer David, David couldn't offer Jonathan. I'm talking about naturally speaking. But what's interesting is this. What's interesting is this, that Jonathan cut covenant with David for this reason, because he saw the value of God's presence in David's life. He recognized, though he might not have put his finger on what it was, he recognized the anointing in his life. He recognized and he saw the love and the honor and the respect and the loyalty that David showed towards the king. And so that and that alone 
impressed Saul, uh, uh, um, uh, impressed Jonathan, so that he wanted to be part of David's life. Come on. How many want to be part of someone who's very blessed and successful and, and amen, I mean, someone, you know, who's got it together, someone who's got godly character, some, you know, you just want to be part of someone who's a winner in life, whatever that means, but I'm talking, biblically speaking, you want to be part of an on-fire, faith-filled, loving person. Can I have an amen to that? You want to be part of these kind of people, amen. So that's where, that's where it was between these two in entering covenant. Number, number three, within the ceremony, there was something called the cutting or the mingling, the, the cutting and the mingling of blood. Now, the word covenant actually in the Hebrew means to cut where blood flows. To cut where blood flows. Amen. And so that, that, that was the meaning of the word covenant. Now, look at here's the verse I wanted to read you Hebrews 9. This, that is why even the first covenant was put into effect with blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood. Watch this. I, I, this, is, this is awesome. This is something I just saw recently. He took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the uh, people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Why did he do that? Because God already knew that they would break the law even before he provided it. So he sprinkled the, uh, he sprinkled the law, he sprinkled everything with blood because blood would cover the transgressions of broken fellowship with God. You, you get that? Even, he, provide, he already knew they were going to break, so he provided the blood. So the blood covered everything that was holy to protect them. Boy, it's amazing how God cares for people. Because God did it. No, watch this. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle, the worship center, uh, and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You know, we saw the movie, and I thought it was pretty intense, uh, well, Mel Gibson's movie, uh, the, um, the Passion of the Christ. You know, and his, his body was so horrifically whipped and beaten. But even that, even Hollywood couldn't, you know, just couldn't really, you know, really paint a picture of what it really was like. Because Isaiah says that he was so beaten, you couldn't recognize him as a human being. That's how cruel the devil is. But I love what it says here. Everything, everything was sprinkled and covered by blood. Now watch this, verse 23. That is what, oh, for without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. That is why, this, this, this is why the tabernacle and everything in it. The tabernacle was the worship center. Everything in it had to do with, it was types and shadows of worship. Uh, they, they stood at something called the table of showbread. And that represented Jesus, the bread of life. They, they had the, um, help me, the seven candlestick, the menorah. And they, 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 it, was, it, it stayed lit 24 hours a day. And of course, they had to provide oil for it, so it stayed lit because that was the only light that they had. And that light signified God's presence in their lives. How many are glad you have the light of God's spirit in your life? 
And, and, and of course, then before the veil, this huge curtain that was 15 feet high and 15 feet wide and 12 inches thick, the Bible says uh, uh, that two, uh, history says, I don't know if the Bible says, history says that two oxen could not pull that curtain apart. It was that strong. And yet, when Jesus rose from the dead, God took his hand, God took his hand and just swiped it down through that curtain, hallelujah, and said, hey, all sinners, come into my presence. Woo! Hallelujah. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. And so, right before that curtain was something called the altar of incense. And incense simply was, uh, was uh, incense is what incense is. It's, a, it's an aroma. And that incense would cover the stench of Israel's sins so that it would be a sweet-smelling savor to God instead of a stench in his nostrils. Isn't that something? And so everything in the tabernacle, or the tabernacle itself, and in the tabernacle, uh, the blood uh, had a positive effect. Would you agree that this is the tabernacle of God, your body, and the blood, hallelujah, has an impact on the outward man and has an impact on the inward man. Come on, give God praise for that. I mean that. Uh, you make much of the blood and the blood will make much of you. I'm serious about that. The devil hates it when you talk about the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So, let's finish this. This is why the tabernacle and everything in it, uh, which were, watch this, which were, you don't have that scripture up there? We don't have scriptures up in our night? Oh, it's up. Oh, what? Oh, there it is. <laughs> I, thought I, I, thought I thought I saw something up there. Watch this. That, that is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven. Did you catch that? I've said it for years because it, I proved from the scriptures, but everything... Everything that Israel did, there was a true, something of, of that true in heaven. So that's why I told you this, that every time um, I go to God, I always say to him, Father, I come to you because of the blood of Jesus that is upon the mercy seat in heaven. That blood is, sits before, in front of you, and it's through that blood I receive mercy. It's through that blood I receive forgiveness. And through that blood, I received divine favor. Listen, a right to come into your presence. I mean, I don't know how you come into your presence. I mean, I don't know how you come into the presence of God. But it's important to know how to come. We can't come in arrogance. We can't come in self-confidence. Amen. We can't. None of us can. That's why I always encourage you. Because you're going to leave here tonight. Some of you are going to stumble and fall, do something stupid before you get home. Some of you wake up in the morning, do something stupid before you get out of bed. I mean, there's something you're going to do because of this Adamic nature. So you make much of the blood. You go before God, and you humble yourself before him, and you ask him for mercy, and you remind him and say, Father, thank you that the blood of my Savior is seated on the mercy seat in heaven. Hallelujah. And that blood cries mercy. That blood uh, cries unconditional love. That blood cries forgiveness. Hallelujah. That blood cries favor. Come on, everybody. you got to do that. That's a very important. Very important. I don't know how you communicate with God, but that's how I communicate with him. Praise God. Say, say thank you, Lord, for the blood. So, he says, that is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals, but the real things in heaven 
had to be purified with a far better, oh, excuse me, far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. Hallelujah. And, and part of the sacrifice was, was, was uh, Jesus' blood. Uh, the cutting and the mingling of blood, listen, was the confirmation that Jonathan and David were becoming blood brothers. How many are familiar, familiar with the term blood brothers? Raise your hand. We're blood brothers. That's where that term came from. Blood brothers, entering into covenant. What, hap what happened was that they would take the blood, uh, they would make an incision in their wrists, and they, uh, Randy, come here, if you would, sir. And um, just stand here. Uh, you're big enough, I can reach you. And um, they would literally uh, make an incision in their wrists here, and then they actually shook like this, so that there would be a mingling of his blood, both bloods together. Okay? And then they took a, thank you, sir, and then they took a cup of wine and dripped blood, their blood into the wine and drank it, meaning that your life, your, your life is entering mine, and my life is entering yours. I mean, no, no, you don't want to go home and practice that. I'm simply giving you the natural things that they practiced in the Old Testament because they didn't have Jesus' blood. They didn't have redemption like we have it. So they practiced things that would, that would come to pass. We practiced things that already came to pass. Thank God we don't have to bring a lamb down here tonight and, and, and offer a sacrifice. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Thank you, God. Oh, anyway, for the New Testament believer, we celebrate, it sounds like communion, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We take, we take again, it's, it's, it's symbol. You know, I know denominational churches, they say that uh, the, the wine turns into the blood of Jesus, nonsense. The bread is the, turns into the body, nonsense. That's just natural things that we do to practice and be reminded of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. Can I have an Amen. So I know you understand it, but maybe somebody out there didn't. All right, number five, or four, ashes. Ashes were then taken and, uh, and rubbed into the, into the incision uh, on the arms. And that incision, that, the ashes in that incision, once it healed up, became like a tattoo. And it was a marking that everybody that saw that marking knew that that person was in covenant with someone else. That means you had to be very careful who you picked on because if you picked on someone who was in covenant with someone else, that covenant partner would come and fight his battle with him. Hallelujah. Amen. Until they conquered the battle together. That's why the Bible says we're two or three are gathered together. Amen. Uh, one to put, put a thousand to flight, two put 10,000 to flight. That's why the devil attacks relationships. He wants to divide them because he knows that you are weak by yourself. If you can't divide you, you know, if you can't divide you in your relationships, you try to divide you in your relationship with God. Amen. So these ashes were rubbed in the incision, and, and uh, which became, listen, an outward sign of an inward covenant. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, it was, it's like the marriage union. Same thing. You wear the ring because this is an outside uh, sign that you have entered a covenant uh, with someone. Can I have an amen? <clears throat> the mark was the sign to both friends and foe that a covenant was present. Okay, uh, number uh, five. To both parties, the covenant mark also represented 
everything that I have belongs to you, and everything that you have belongs to me. That's exactly what the tribes did. I mean, it was amazing how they, uh, they entered into covenant. Uh, uh, many of the covenants were so unbalanced. It wasn't like, okay, I'm stinking wealthy. You, don't, you, know, you absolutely have nothing to offer. I think you'll agree with me. When you enter into marriage union, you enter into, you know, the, uh, the old saying, the opposites attract. When you enter into, commun- or into a, a covenant in marriage, uh, normally your mate has strengths that you don't have. Is that right? Amen. Uh, I have strengths. Uh, I have strengths that Vicky doesn't have. I don't know what they are, but I have strengths that Vicky. <laughs> I'm just having fun. She has strengths that I need in my life. And so when we blend those two together, we become stronger in that covenant relationship. Can I have an amen on that? We become stronger in that relationship. Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. Hallelujah. When we, as a church body, when we're joined together, as Ephesians 4 says, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Man, when you're joined together, hallelujah, you can make a difference in a community. You can make a difference even in the corporate anointing that brings healing and, and wholeness to, to people um, in, uh, in every service that we have. If you agree with me, say amen. amen. Okay, to the Africans, this was an, and still is known as the tribal covenant. All right, number six. A priest is present to confess over the parties both the blessings and the curses. I just want you to understand that. There were blessings They entered into a covenant that declared blessings on them, but curses if they broke them. And I'll read this out of Deuteronomy so it helps you understand. For this commandment, which I command you this day, is not too difficult for you, nor is it far off. And I just love this verse. It is not a secret laid up in heaven that you should say, who shall go up to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? But the word is near you in your mouth and in your mind and in your heart so that you can do it. Now, just for the sake, just for the sake of, 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 um, of New Testament confirmation, now go to Romans 10 in your Bibles or in your phones. I didn't put it on here, so she can get it up there. That's fine. Romans 10. Now, just really quick. The Apostle Paul actually quoted this scripture, okay, in, in Romans, the 10th chapter. And uh, because it's important you see, I'll make, I'll make a point when I read this. Now, in Romans 10, okay, verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this way. Thank you. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from heaven? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? Uh, what, 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 does, what, what does righteousness say? What does righteousness say? He tells us. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. So isn't it interesting that Paul speaks of an Old Testament Proverb, or an Old Testament truth or scripture, uh, meaning what? God, listen, God expected Israel to, to be believing and speaking what he told them to do, just like we are to speak, believe and speak what he told us to do. Isn't that good? And there's no excuse for us because we got the spirit living in us. 
We got the Spirit living in us. So there's no excuse for us. But he, he, want, he, he wanted them to, we'll go back there, uh, back to the Amplifier in Deuteronomy 30. He wanted the Israelites, he wanted his people blessed. Raise your hand if you believe God wants you blessed. Let's go on. So, uh, see, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. Now, if, Pastor Vicki shared this many years ago, she said, um, every blessing is preceded by a commandment. Got quiet in this church. What did I say? Yeah, every promise of God. Thank you, Vicki. Every promise of God is preceded by a command. Me, and don't get hung up on the word command. That just simply means God has instructed you from the word, and if you'll do that, the blessing will follow. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, what's the commandment? To love the Lord your God. How many believe that's a New Testament commandment? I mean, let's, come on. I'm going to help all those who, oh, yeah, but pastor, that's the Old Testament. Oh, yeah, pastor, that's the Old Testament. Oh, how many believe that God, loving God is a New Testament? You, oh, thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. I've got some saved people in here. <laughs> to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land into which you go to possess. But if, in your mind and heart, you turn away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I therefore uh, declare to you today that you shall surely perish. And you shall not live long in the land which you, pass, which you pass over the Jordan to enter and possess. Listen, even today there are many Christians that, that don't live out the length of life that God had planned for them. Because they're unwilling to obey God. So their lives are shortened. We had Brother Hagen talk about that years ago, talking about people being a prayer line, and you know, different times I've shared that before. But you know, somebody comes through the line, and a lady was coming through the line; she needed healing, and and um, the Spirit of God said, "Don't pray for her." And uh, <laughs> Brother Hagen says, "Why? Because she hasn't forgiven her sister." And he, so he said, "The late lady, I can't pray for you." <laughs> she goes, "Why?" Because you, you haven't forgiven your sister. Well, I ain't never going to forgive her. And she walked off and never did get what God had for her. So, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's things like this, right? Another one was the tithe. Guy came walking by for prayer, and God said, don't pray for him. And Lord, Kenneth Hagin said, but why, Lord? Because he doesn't tithe. And I've been dealing with him for years about tithing, but he just won't tithe. Oh, man. So, guy walked up to him and said, sir, I can't pray for you. He goes, why? Because you don't tithe. Well, what does that have to do with anything? So he walked away, and Brother Higgins said not long after that, the guy died. So there's, things, there's responsibilities on our life. I'm sorry, guys and gals. We, all, we, we, speak, uh, we speak a very greasy grace today, not we here at Faith Family, but think that we can kind of just kind of coast and, and, and obey God if we want, not obey him if we don't want. But that's not what the Bible says. If you want to be blessed, you've got to believe God's word and obey it. Everyone say amen to that. <laughs> Now, I call heaven, no, okay, uh, where am I at? Verse 30, 18? Uh, I call heaven and earth to witness this day against you that I have set before you life and death, the blessings and the curses. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live and may love the Lord your God, obey his voice, and cling to him, 
For he is your life, and he is the length of your days. Don't you ever think that God was happy that this precious people that he loved, the first generation died in the wilderness, that should have never done. They should have went into the promised land and enjoyed 40 years and beyond that of great blessing, but they refused. I've said this, in fact, I just said it today. I think, I think you know, deception is such a powerful force because people can come in and admit their lives are a wreck. Nothing's working, yet refuse to yield to God. That is a mystery. And isn't that, you don't even have to have a miserable life to get saved. You just have to recognize you need a Savior. Even the up and outers deserve salvation. Can I have an amen? You don't have to be a mess. I want to read this out of the New Living Translation, just 19 and 20. We've got to wind this up pretty quick here. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Even God was gracious enough to give us the answer. I've placed before you life and death. Hmm. I wonder what I should choose. Choose life. Watch this. You, oh, I like this, so that you and your descendants might live. Amen. When Satan attacks your life, thank you. When Satan attacks your life, he's after your seed. Say he's after your seed. When Satan attacks your life, yeah, it's true. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God. Hmm. And obeying him, hmm. committing him, obeying and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land. The, uh, uh, the Lord swore, that's the covenant term, to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I don't see any difference between that promise or that requirement there than ours today. I don't see any difference. That we're to love the Lord, we're to honor his word, have great respect for his word. I said one of the things that's lacking in the church today because they don't teach on it is the reverential fear of the Lord. Because see, kids, listen. Listen to this. Christianity is an individual experience. That means you have to, inside, determine, okay, am I here to impress this one, that one, my pastor, whatever, or am I here knowing that God is my Father, Jesus is my Master, the Spirit of God is my instructor, my guide, am I going to yield to him? People make all mistakes all the time. I don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm not interested, you know, at all about, you know, when you leave here, um, I, I can't control your decisions. I want you to make the right choices. And, 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 and listen, Christianity is a journey of growth. 
God is not expecting a new baby to make, you know, to make, uh, to set the requirements uh, or to establish responsibility in his life that an older believer does. He doesn't. He, do, he doesn't require that. No, he wants him to grow. Amen. But it's not required of him. Where for some of us, it's different. We were talking today, Bill and I were talking today about, you know, the ministers that are, that, uh, through the years that have fallen into moral compromise and just their lives have made a mess out of their lives, a mess out of their marriages, a mess out of their churches, and so on and so on. But my greatest fear, not mine, I mean, maybe not theirs, but my greatest fear is I'm going to stand before God one day and give an account of my life. And, I, I, and listen to this. This is just, just, just think about this. I mean, every one of you, just think about this individually. That you're standing before God and you hear words coming out of his mouth that you were just, weren't, um, you know, I did my best, you know, I loved God the best I could, but, you know, life is busy and I didn't give him much of a chance. But hey, hey, you know, once saved, always saved. You know, so I'm standing before him and these words come out of his mouth. De Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Don't, don't think for a moment when you stand and you fall on your knees and you begin to weep and grab a hold of his legs that he's going to retreat what he just said. That's why this thing's so serious, that we walk with God. I mean, I mean in the knowledge that we have. You, you know what I'm saying? But... <laughs> I won't say whose phone that was, but anyway. <laughs> Let me close with this, and we'll be done here. Okay, where did the practice of cutting covenant originate in the Bible? I'll give you six things here, then we'll, then we'll close. It was first witnessed in the dispensation of creation in Genesis, the book of Genesis, which we're going to get to as we go on. Number two, like the covenant between Jonathan and David, the first covenant was inspired out of love. Isn't that cool? Out of love. Praise the Lord. I've said this before, and I'll say it to my wife. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, a miracle that, it's a miracle that someone loves you. Come on. It is. It's a miracle. that I'm serious about that. It's a miracle, that, and I'm serious about this. When she met me, it was, you know, it was a miracle that someone would love me. I mean, it's just, it's a, I mean, it's a miracle. How many feel that way in your life? That's a miracle that someone loves you. I mean, I feel that. It's just a miracle that somebody would do, do that. That's what the first covenant or contractual agreement entered into was it, was it was inspired by love. Number three, God himself instituted covenant on behalf of and for the benefit of all his creation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Number four, and we'll talk about this later, the covenant God instituted was irrevocable, irreversible, unchangeable, and unbreakable. If you want to read a beautiful scripture right now, read Hebrews 6, verse 13 through 20 out of the Message Bible. It's powerful. It's inspiring. Hebrews 6, verse 13 through 20, it'll confirm what I just said here. God's covenant is, uh, uh, he instituted was irrevocable, irreversible, unchangeable, and un unbreakable. And the Bible says there that God himself swore to himself that he would keep the covenant. <laughs> he said, ah, oh, man, that's good. See, you're not getting excited because you're not getting the picture. God swore by himself that as dirty and messed up and dysfunctional as we were, 
God swore by himself he's going to keep the covenant and offer salvation to anybody who wants it. Hallelujah. Is that awesome or what? Whew. Man, I'm glad. Number five, God's covenant was a never-ending covenant for it had to do with eternity. Number six, blood covenant is where we discover the scarlet thread of redemption, which is in Joshua 2, and we'll talk about that as we go. So finally, a covenant, I'll give you the definition one more time, is a Solomon agreement between two or more persons agreeing to do certain things. Two or three entering into covenant means that covenant is relational. Say covenant is relational. It really is. The marriage, it's relational. Between Jonathan and David, it was relational. And every covenant in the Bible had to do with relationships. Now, these are the last two verses, and then we'll close. Jeremiah 31. The day is coming, this is Jeremiah talking, says the Lord. Remember, this is Old Testament scripture. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Say new covenant. covenant. Amen. And remember, from Genesis to Malachi, or Malachi, from Genesis to Malachi, that was... Old Testament. That was Old Covenant. Okay, right? The New Covenant began in the Gospels in the book of Matthew. So I just wanted to help you see that. The day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. Do you remember, I don't want to confuse you, but who, who, who is the man who birthed the nation of Israel? Thank you. It's not that hard. Say Abraham. Say Abraham. Abraham. Out of Abraham's loins came Israel, right? The nation of Israel. Okay. So he says, um, uh, this is the new covenant I'll, I'll make with the people of Israel on that day. And that day, he spe- specifically pointed to is the day of Christ's resurrection. That was the day. The Bible says in the book of Galatians 3.29, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed or your Israel's seed and your heirs according to the promise. See, that's why today God has raised up Kufi and, and, and ministries like that that support Israel because, it, listen to me, Israel is about as heathen as you can get. Israel is about as spiritually dark as you can get. And so God called uh, her brothers and sisters that are born again to stand in the gap for them, pray for them, so God can move in them. Can I have an amen? amen. Hallelujah. This is good stuff. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. He wasn't saying you don't need teaching. He was saying, you'll have a revelation of the redemptive Savior inside of your heart. You'll be born again. You won't have to tell anybody. Uh, you don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to tell me I'm born again. I already know it. Oh, and I will forgive their wickedness. I will never again remember their sins. Hebrews 8, say New Testament. It's the last one. But this is the new covenant I will make with them 
uh, the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord, the day of Christ's resurrection. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Hallelujah. So he's just simply telling us and repeating it. Paul, not Paul, they think Luke wrote Hebrews. I don't care. The Holy Ghost wrote Hebrews. He was just confirming that what the Old Testament was teaching long ago that there would become a redeemer who would write the revelation of redemption on the table of our hearts. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Why don't you lift your hands and give God some praise tonight. Thank you, God. We give you glory. We give you glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I want to, Amy, thank you. Tonight I want to do something, you know, and um, I just want you to bow your head for a moment. Just for a moment. I'm not here to try to create a sin consciousness in you. I'm not here to do that. I'm not here to make you feel bad or to put you down. Uh, I have enough work just taking care of this guy, okay? But what I want you to do is close your eyes for a moment and just stop for a moment and just think about your life where it is at this moment. And you have right standing with God, but have you broken, have you broken that covenant, you know, today even? You know, maybe, you know, could be, maybe you got into dissension and strife and, or, you know, or you got into, you know, something that God is not pleased with and, and, and man, you're fighting the battle in your mind because you feel lousy, you know, or just stop for a moment. Just, just really consider uh, where you are in your walk with God. And if it isn't where it needs to be, just, just repent before God. Just inside say, God, I'm so deeply sorry. I don't want to be this way. I want to talk this way. I don't want to act this way. I don't want to live this way. And just, just repent before God because repentance... That's the beginning of restoration. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, I pray for the congregation tonight. And I give you praise that, God, you, you gave us the promise in 1 John 1, 9, that if we would confess our sins, you said you'd be faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, over this congregation, God, as we repent before you tonight, we confess our sins our sins of uncontrolled anger, our, our sins of pride, our sins of rebellion, our sins of greed, our sins of moral misconduct, our sins of gossip, our, our, our sins of strife and envy and jealousy. Father, we repent before you tonight. And God, we ask you tonight for your forgiveness. And now, Father, by faith, please lift your hands up. By faith, we receive the precious blood of Jesus to cleanse us, God, from all unrighteousness. Come on, would you please give him praise. And Father, tonight I give you so much praise that your precious people, God, are in right standing with you tonight, God. And that, God, you will bless them. Hallelujah. You will keep them. Amen. Hallelujah. You will guide them by your spirit, God. And I believe, God, as they wake up in the morning, it'll be a new day of great victory, great breakthrough, and great favor of the Lord upon their lives, Father. And we thank you tonight for the precious blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. amen. Now you can give God a good shout. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.
God don't want you to just live a life of condemnation every day. He wants you to correct it, take care of it, and get in right standing with him again. Praise the Lord.